iPad talking uh, with the adapters. Uh, so today we're going to kind of be flying without it, which is just primitive, isn't it? How many classes did we do in the church? We were supposed to have technology, and today we won't. And I will have it fixed by next week. But that's it. Well, uh, that's what we were trying to do for whatever reason that wasn't working off of that one either. And it doesn't get us to the scriptures that I have marked. Yeah, because it, it should be automatic though on this projector. It should just pick up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done messing with it. I will have it figured out by next week. Today we're roughing it. We will be in the wilderness. Okay, that said, how was your weekend? Uh, what was your experience? What did you hear? Faith-promoting rumors? I think exciting. Yeah, yeah, weather is kind of weird now. Pray for the people in Illinois. And the Philippines is still just, yeah, we have no idea how bad it is there in the Philippines yet. Without the missionaries there. Yeah, at least the missionaries are safe. Now now the real work uh, begins, doesn't it? Okay, well, that said, let let us... So today you're going to have to really kind of... uh, We're going to rely more on scriptures. Uh, If you haven't got scriptures, you might snuggle up next to somebody who does. Um... But that said, let me begin today with, uh, this is one of those uh, basic uh, plan of salvation questions. Let's just walk ourselves through the process for a minute. Uh, As we understand it, uh, with modern revelation and all of that, we begin by the fact that we were living with Heavenly Father, and then we get the great fall. And I want you to picture kind of a stair step kind of thing. So then we fall... And then what happens? Yeah, the, we're now going to be... Now, if, if this is Israel, for instance, and they're scattered, the first thing that has to do after we've fallen is we have to be found. Somebody's got to go rescue us and find us and bring us home. Okay? So, we're with Heavenly Father. We fall. Then the next step is we have to be found. Then once you find somebody, then what's the next step? I know, I'm going to wander. Thank you. Okay? you got to teach them. And then when they're t- sufficiently taught, then the next step is? Baptism. Baptism. And baptism is, is telling Heavenly Father that we are now covenanting with Him to, to be His. We'll take upon ourselves His name. Now along with that, then there's the firing of the Holy Ghost, which then cleanses us. Okay, now after somebody's been baptized, then the next step is what? Then they're confirmed. They see the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Next step? Before we get to the temple. We're going to get the priesthood before, even before that. Testimony. Yeah, they're going to build their testimony. What happens every week? Yeah. 
In other words, you're going to come and, and here comes another covenant, another reminder of the covenants that we made to Him at baptism, right? So there, there's the partaking of the bread and the water. Then we're going to go from the bread and the water to then we have to prove ourselves on a regular basis. Now, as, as missionaries though, and as, as Latter-day Saints, our goal for new members is not for them to just be baptized. Where do we want them to be? In the temple. So in order to get them there, they have to be proven over a period of time. Then what are we going to do? Once they have been proven, then they have to pass by the angels to be able to get access to the place of the temple. And that, that access is what angels? The recommend. That's right. So, so there are actually three angels I can think about. Bishop. State the state president yeah. and the guy at the temple recommend desk. Okay? Gotta get past those angels. Okay? And prove, and the recommend says, I covenanted, I did it. These angels will, will witness for me that I am worthy now to cross the boundary into this sacred place so that I can do what? Make more covenants. And so I'm going to be then, uh, I have to, I'm offered a covenant, I have to prove that I accept it. Then I make another covenant, I have to prove that I accept it. I make another covenant, then I prove that I've accepted it. And then what, what happens? <coughs> That's right. If I've done all of those things, and I have witnessed to the angels that I have covenanted what I, what I would do, then I have the ability to be ushered into the presence of God. I, I'm now reconciled. So the journey is complete, right? I started with my Heavenly Father. I fell. I covenant, 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 covenant. Then I get ushered back into His presence. I have returned. I have been reconciled. I have been at one with Him. I have come home. Okay? Now, what I just described for you is the children of Israel. That's the journey. And it plays itself out, and especially in these verses, we're going to watch the children of Israel walk through these steps. They, they were in the promised land. They fall. By the way, they fall to Egypt in order to be rescued. Isn't that weird? We're saved by being fallen. Is that true about with us as people? We had to fall from Heavenly Father's presence in order to be saved, to be rescued. So now we're down here, we, they, they got found. Then they're going to be baptized. When were they baptized? Red Sea, absolutely. Underneath the water, that becomes important. They come up to the other side. Then what happens? What was the next step for us? Was the fire cleansing them before they left. Before they went through the water. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're being cleansed. But we're going to try and get to the fire here in a second. But they are going to be baptized. Now, what happens after they're baptized? Sacrament. Did they partake of the... Of the what, it, what is it? Manna. 
That's what manna means. What is it? They're going to partake of the, the bread and then the water. We'll talk about that. And then what happens? And they prove themselves. Then they need a temple recommend, right? In order so that they can then enter into the temple so they can be reconciled. What we're about to find, we're about to watch them get a temple recommend interview. And then they're going to be, and then they're going to be given the opportunity to enter the temple, and they will. That's where they'll stop. They'll halt. They're not ready yet. Okay. Now, boy, uh, I wish you could see. These are great slides. Oh man. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Okay. If you got the uh, if you got your scriptures, I want you to turn to the to section eighty four of the of the doctrine and covenants. Eighty four twenty. Who's got Who's got section eighty four twenty? Okay, you got that. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, we're gonna go twenty through twenty four. But I promise you won't make it through all of any words before I interrupt you. So. As long as we know. All right. Okay, so one of the things we know about ordinances is the, the ordinance allows us to do what? See the power of God, right? The power of godliness is made manifest through ordinances, such as sacrament, blessings, all of those kind of things. You're seeing the power of God in action. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, so in order to be able to be reconciled back with God, we have to go through these ordinances that prepare us to be able to see Him, understand Him, and be able to live in that presence. Okay? Uh, by the way, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you something. Keep going. Okay? Uh, now, this Moses plainly Okay, now listen closely here. Now, this whole process of ordinances prepare us to get back into the presence of God. Okay, this Moses plainly taught. And sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might be whole in the face of God. Now, I need you to know that how many prophets have ever dreamed of being able to take their people into the presence of God? All of them. That is what prophets do. Prophets have, by it, that is their desire to somehow take whatever people they're responsible for to usher them into the presence of God. Parents, isn't that what you want? Your goal is to be able to usher your family back into the presence of God. They were lost, now they're found. They've been fallen, now they've been returned. This plainly, this is what Moses was after. He had a very singular goal. He wanted to get them back into the presence of God. Yeah.
Ah, okay. Uh, is this a good, good, good question? Or how about Joseph Smith? How many ordinances had Joseph Smith had before he entered into the, the sacred grove and beheld God? Okay, how, gosh, that, how could they do that? God transfigures them. They would, have, they would have to be transfigured. They would have to be transformed because they couldn't behold Him in the natural body. Okay, so in order for them to be able to be not just see God with God, but to live with God, we have to go through these ordinances. Because there have been people like Mary, like Joseph Smith, others that have had experiences with God, but weren't yet prepared to be living with Him so that there was a temporary transformation so that they could behold that, but not in their natural body. Yeah. Yes. Yes. To live with him, not just see him. I mean, we're talking about Moses taught us to see the face of God, but we could really translate that to be able to live with God. We talked about uh, having a fullness of joy, having eternal lives. That is a, that is living with God in His presence and being God-like in the way that we do. Absolutely. I've often wondered what would happen with Joseph Smith. Brigham Young said when the saints were going out west, he said, give us ten years without uh, mobs and not even the devil can dig us out. I wondered what would have happened if Joseph had had the saints for ten years. You know, would, would they have been exalted without any all the interference and Joseph... Full, working on that full time. I've wondered if that's why Joseph, like Moses, had to be taken before they actually made it to the promised land. Okay, so so let's pick up where we were. So Moses was seeking diligently to have this people be able to stand in the presence of God and live it. And but they hardened their heart and could not endure His presence. Therefore, the Lord in His wrath, for His anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into Okay. So what we're about to see is that Moses had a goal, and that is, I want to exalt my people. Uh, it's my own belief that he, Moses was like, he, he saw the example of Enoch. He wanted these people to be able to live in the presence of God. Enoch, the difference is Enoch had 350 years. Moses had about 40 years with a really obstinate, stubborn, teenage-like people. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why teenage in a second. But they will make a conscious choice that we do not want to live with him. We're not ready for that. And, it's a, and they choose. It's like somebody about halfway through the temple session goes... I don't think so. I have, or, or like I had a temple worker tell me the other day, um, that's ran to somebody in the hall and he's like, eh, I, I've seen this movie before. <laughs> anyway. All right, so that is the goal. Now, 
Let's watch how this works. So here comes the process. It isn't going to be for the lack of Moses trying. Because he's about to try really hard here. Uh, now the first one is going to be... Um, so now let's, now let's flip over to uh, Enos 16. Or Exodus 16. You didn't know there was an Enos 16. Oh, and I love this. This is where you're about to see. This is this is why I say I think they were operating at about a teenage level on a bad day, and they took their journey. Oh, and you have to love this. You know, some of these these aren't accidents. Look at this first verse. You know, and I know it's a word, but even the way it translates is just awesome. Look at this. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of... Isn't that perfect? It's the wilderness of sin. Oh, yeah. Think that's where we are now? Aren't we walking through the wilderness of sin? Uh, I know it's also a city, but the, but the irony is just wonderful on this. Okay. The, so they're going through the wilderness of sin. Uh, and the whole congregation of children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron... And, and now the whining begins. The children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the flesh pots, stew pots, um, and when we did eat bread to the full. Okay, It was better in Egypt. We forgot about the fact we're making bricks without straw, and we're in bondage. But it was better in Egypt because we had food. Now, this next part, again, this is either the Israelites acting like teenagers or they sent their teenagers to Moses to complain for them. (laughs) Because, moms, you have heard this logic over and over and over and over. It's this next line. Um, We did eat bread to the full which brought us into the wilderness... To kill this whole assembly with hunger. <laughs> can't, can't you see Moses? And he's like, yeah, we did the frogs and we did the lice and we did we turned the river to blood and there was the whole Red Sea thing so I could get you here and kill you. That is, you're right. My goal is really to have you starve to death after we did all those things. You caught me. <laughs> Haven't you ever wanted to say that to your kids? <laughs> Mom, are you wanting to kill us with asparagus? Oh, we're going to die. <laughs> so I say, if you just picture them as like a, a group of like whiny 13-year-olds, you're probably not far off. I have to go to scout camp and go a whole week without my Xbox. I will be dead. (laughs) (laughs) Not all 13-year-olds are whiny. But watch this. Anybody want to be 13 again? (laughs) It's awful, isn't it? Because then you get older and life gets better. Okay. Okay. So then the Lord said unto Moses, Okay, here's, here comes a solution. In spite of their whininess, 
I will rain bread from heaven and the people will go out and gather a certain rate. Now, we know the rules here, okay? And you, so, the Lord says, I'm going to provide bread. Now, what are the rules? If, we're gonna, if I'm going to provide bread, what are the rules about this bread? You can only take so much. How much? First of all, when do you have to collect it? First thing in the morning. What if you go out afternoon? You sleep in and you're going to go pick up your mammoth. No, it's bad. By then it's gone. What if you like collect enough so that it's, you still have it the next morning? Now it's wormy. So rule number one, you have to get it first thing in the morning. And you've got to get it right after the dew settles. You're going to collect it. You've got to collect at least, it says, an omer, which really translates to just under a gallon per person of this man. Of this, what is it? So this is going to last you for the day. Okay? Now, so you have to have enough to get you through today. What about tomorrow? Go back out and do the same thing again. Now, except the night before the, the day before the Sabbath, on Friday, how much do you get? Double amount. On this day, you're going to have to double, get a double portion, two gallons per person. That is the, that's the rule. To train them line upon line, little obedience to the there you go, because the question would be, why would he do it this way? In the economy of heaven, wouldn't it just work like, on Monday morning, I just dump it. You get, rather than have to go through whatever machinery is to somehow have manna show up in the morning, whatever angels are working on the manna project, we get like the week off. We just do it once a week, cover it. Why would he do it this way? Job insurance. <laughs> so the angels have something to do. Then their union. We're going to do it slower. Yeah. I didn't mean that. <laughs> have faith that it'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. It's like it's like with my with my dumb cats, you know. That I you pour you pour food in the bowl, and when there's like half of it gone, and they can see the bottom of the bowl, they're like, "I'll never be fed again. I'm going to I, I will die right here because I only have half the bowl." Oh my gosh! Freak out because I don't I don't have the faith that there will ever be any more food again. Yeah. Daily. Yes. And I think it's a model for the church now. We don't we don't do very many things the most efficient way, to be perfectly honest. I mean, no. it'd be so awesome if we just had home teaching day after soccer meeting on fast Sunday. But we don't do that. I mean it would be more efficient that way. We don't do it that way because it's much better to be ministered to. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also um, gives gives them a chance to have gratitude. Every day. Every day. Recognition of the Lord's hand in their life and the opportunity to show that. Okay, so, so 
translate that. So, so what is our manna today? Translate to modern time. Today. Scripture study. How about if just once a week, like you read for two hours and then don't, don't worry about it the rest of the week? How about if you like take a double portion of sacrament? You know, just take a handful. And then you're good for six months. You can sleep in the next six months, and then about every six months, you come take a big handful of sacrament. Instead of drinking a little thing of water, like give me a big gallon cup, I, I, I've handled it for the next six months. Said, no, we have to be here every single week. Same with temple ordinances. We go through and do one verse at a time. Through, we don't just take a whole list. Wouldn't that, present, that would be much easier if we gave everybody like a list of 50. <laughs> and we take this 50 through everybody on my list. And from an efficiency standpoint, that would be faster, wouldn't it? He says, no, we're going to do it line upon line, a step at a time. Yeah. Because that would depersonalize it. Yeah. Look, and that, see, look at the principle. He says, every single day you've got to do something here. Yeah. The other principle is remember, we're too quick to forget. So that's why we need to oh, we're, we're awful on the forgetting side, aren't we? I think it's fascinating, for instance, and I mentioned this in the second meeting yesterday. Uh, for the saints that were living in Kirtland, remember how we talked about those that were going to live Zion, then they go out to independence, and they start living the law of consecration in independence? Did they have savings accounts in independence? No. Did they have food storage? Were they, were they, were they, had, were they doing food storage in the back of their house with wheat in, in independence? And they were living the law of consecration. No. All, all of the surplus money, food, whatever, went where? To the bishop's storehouse. We will have only in our house sufficient for what we need for today. And we will trust, we have to have faith, that tomorrow if something were to happen, that the bishop would provide stuff for me. Now, in a, in a place where, for so many of us, security for us is so many dollars that we have sitting in a bank account because we're not sure that a calamity might come. And from a self-reliance standpoint, we're being told, you know, make sure you have some of that stuff. And if you're a you know, subscriber to Brother uh, Ramsey, and now you're going to make sure you have your money available to you, that's how we protect ourselves. Isn't it interesting, the economy of the Lord in the Zion society, he says... Now, trust me. You have a sufficient for today, and then you get up tomorrow and get the rest. And then the next day, get up the rest. Yeah. But that, that is a spiritual build-up. It makes me think of the parable of the ten virgins, where each time you read those scriptures, each time you say those prayers, each thing is one more drop. Drop by drop. That spiritually builds that, that you can't hand to somebody else later Yep. Yep. In fact, I almost used the parable of the ten virgins because the drop by drop thing is what we're doing. Okay. So, so the Lord's going to set these boundaries on on this sacred bread coming from the sky. Okay. Now, verse fifteen. Okay. Who's got? Who wants to grab this one? You got it. Okay. They want to read. 
And when the children of Israel louder. <laughs> and when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, "It is manna." Okay, stop. Now again, I just love this because they said translated manna means what is it? <laughs> yeah, it, it looks like it looks like little coriander seeds. It, it looks a little bit like a, a wafer thing. But the, what they were really saying, if you translated the Hebrew, they're saying, what is it? And so forever they just called it, what is it? Did you get your own mayor of, what is it? Yeah. We're sick and tired of, what is it, meatballs? What is it, kebabs? What is it, fajitas? Okay. But that's really what they were saying. What it, we go... Will you go collect our what is it? Okay. Okay. For they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. Okay, now. So here's, here's, so go collect the what is it. And here's the rules. Make sure you get it. First thing in the morning. And, and then the next, don't you just get enough for today. And then, okay. Got the whole thing. Now. Look at verse 17. It's so perfect. Verse 17 says, let me read it. Got it? We got it. Okay. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, part of that means that small families gathered a little, big families gathered bigger. I, I get that. But I think the other meaning is absolutely there. <laughs> Some more. I'm going to read a little scriptures. Some are going to read a lot. I want a little spirituality, but not too much. I want to keep some commandments, not a lot of commandments. You know, we we do all of this. I don't want to be too righteous. Okay. So, some gather some more, some left. Um, now, now twenty. Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto Moses, but some of them left off of it until morning. Okay? Now, don't you, don't you, wouldn't you love to hear this discussion? <laughs> uh, Moses, uh, I went out uh, like at noon and there wasn't any. <laughs> or we kept some in our house and now it has worms. <laughs> and it really stinks. And then, did, did I not tell you? Hmm? It's cold? Are we freezing? No, it's great. Yeah, go ahead and turn it. Thank you, turned off. Then I want you to wait about 20 minutes and then turn it back on. Yeah. Then go about 2 minutes and turn it off. Yeah. And then turn it back on again. I'm hot and cold. I'm hot and cold. Okay. What is it? <laughs> okay. So, so you can hear him saying, um, I went out on like the Sabbath. And I slept in. And there wasn't any. Why? And, 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 and can you hear Moses going, Okay, let, let's go back to rule one, shall we? We gather them at right at, at got to get up in the morning, got to collect it. You can't collect enough for, oh yeah. How come you didn't do that? What would their answer be? 
I don't know. <laughs> you think that's what it is? Well, don't we sometimes do this in our own lives too? Because we have to rely on the Lord every day and we get worried about things and then He'll give us an answer and we're like, well, but I don't understand. Why are you asking me to do that? Yeah. And He has a reason that will lead us to something good in our lives that is what we want, but we don't understand. We say, well, what is it? What? Yeah, Why yeah. How do we do this? You're you're getting and it now. And it's it will help us to have our needs met and to trust him and rely on him. Because so often we ask, I mean, were they wanting manna? No. No, they wanted stew like they had in Egypt. <laughs> you know, and they're getting it, and so when we get the blessing and he answers our prayers, I think a lot of times we go, What is it? What what is this? I had in mind what it was supposed to be, and this ain't it. And doesn't slavery do that? And that and that really is where we're going. Are the, one of the results of slavery and being in bondage generation after generation after generation is that they cease to think. I think it's one of the struggles that we have, for instance, kind of with the welfare mom mentality. That they have been the way that that's been approached, there was never room there for them to kind of grow out of that. Bondage, and so what seemed benevolent on the front end has actually turned out to be a bondage in the long run. So, okay. So, do you get the pattern so far? They were lost. Now they're found. Now they're being fed with bread. Um, uh, now the next thing, and I, I won't go to it, but the next thing is that now they're going to complain about what? Yeah, now they want me. So occasionally they're going to get some quail thrown in. But now what's the next thing they need? Water. Water. They're in the desert. And so now they're going to complain about the water. Now, could not the Lord have led them and and opened up a river somewhere? Or a rain a lot? Yeah, maybe you wake up every morning and you collect the water. Where's He going to send them? That's true. They have soggy (laughs) men. Now it's a wet wet is it? Yeah. Okay. So, so where's he going to send them? Where's he? Gonna, where are they going to go to get the water so they won't die? Does that make any sense to you? Why, of all the places that are going, I'm going to send you to a rock. It's a very. I mean, there's no way to miss this one. Now, granted. Waking up every morning to lots of what is it all over the ground is a pretty amazing miracle. But this is even more than that. Because he says, rather than just open up a river or show you a well or something, I'm going to send you to a rock. Why a rock? What's, what's, what's it symbolic of? He's the rock. How many times, listen to the, 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 the symbolism that the Savior always uses, especially around our basic needs. I am the bread of life. I am the rock. I am the living water. All of those to remind us how often? Daily, hourly, that we need Him. We go fast Sunday, and we haven't eaten for a few hours. We get grouchy. We're just struggling because we haven't got... Our sustenance. And yet we're, we're fine going weeks and weeks without scriptures or without prayer. And he says, I need you to need me like you need water. I need you to need me like you need bread. 
I need you to trust me daily. Yeah. This lesson they're learning, they have been under bondage. Their free agency has been taken away. Yeah. They're slowly getting their free agency back by learning obedience. And, and, and kicking against that. Sometimes we push against that. In this process of raising children, we try and slowly give them the free agency. But a lot of times children want the free agency. I want to do what I want to do and I don't want any consequences. So then they're upset when there are consequences and learning that the, the more I recognize what the consequences are, the more freedom I have. But I don't necessarily want that. Yeah. It isn't, is it? Because that ultimately, agents, our choices always come with consequences. It really does. Yeah. We sit there laughing at it, but why is it that we go through the same discussion year after year after year? We need to keep hearing it. We had a wonderful priesthood uh, session in this room last night. Wonderful spirit. And, and you know what we talked about? Big shocker, okay? Preparedness. And home teaching. <laughs> There's no surprises here. Okay? And we have to be reminded on a regular... Why do brethren have to continually be reminded to do their own teaching? Because we forget. So that we just need the repetition. Okay. So. Alright. So now that... So, so now they're going to get... They've been found. They've been baptized. Now they're being fed the living bread. They're being fed water. Now we're ready to prepare them. What's Moses' next step? Turn to Exodus 19. It, it would be the next step in what he's trying to accomplish. For they were departed from Rephidim and were in the desert of Sinai. Where's he taking them to? He's taking them to the temple grounds. Okay, this is the uh, surrounding the holy temple. Okay? And Moses went up to God, and God called him out of the mountain, saying, Thou shalt say unto the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. And listen to these words. I just think this is, this is pretty great. Uh, I know where I'm reading. <laughs> Did I forget to tell you? Exodus 19, verse 4. I'm so used to having it up there. Ye have seen, tell this to the children of Israel, the whiny bunch. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, listen, here comes the, here's what I would desire to do for the children of Israel. If ye will obey my voice. Indeed, if you keep my covenant. Then, here come several promises that he's going to make to them. First of all, then ye shall be what? A peculiar treasure. Why, why a peculiar treasure? What does it mean to treasure? To love. Yeah, to embrace. You will be peculiar to me. You will be mine. Yeah, it does. And in fact, peculiar also means, we talked about that we are a peculiar people. 
It also means owned, bought, paid for, peculiar to us. I have paid a price. How do you get a? How do you get treasure? You pay a price for it. Okay. You shall be a peculiar treasure above all other people. All the earth is mine. Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, priests, and priestesses. In other words, I desire to make you royalty. I desire to make you mine. Uh, and a holy nation. Now, this has already begun. Listen closely how the, the Lord is going to offer a blessing. And then what does He need from us? Then this is called covenant and response. Covenant and response. It's a temple pattern. Covenant and response. Okay, here it comes. I desire to make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And Moses came and called it the, the people, laid out these words, and, and look at verse 8. And all the people answered together and said what? All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. Covenant and response. Will you? Yes. Will you do this? Yes. Okay, now, once you, if I, if I commit you to do that, and you covenant that you will, now we move on to the next step of preparation to prepare you to be back into my presence. Does this make sense? Sound familiar? Okay. Okay, now, if you're, gonna, if you're going to become a righteous people and we're bringing you out of the wilderness, and now, now that we've established this, I want to make you a righteous people. Yeah. You want to be my peculiar treasure? Yeah. You want to become a kingdom of priests? Yeah. What's the next step? Look at the next verse. Now what needs to be happening? Yes, they need to be washed, cleansed, and they've already been baptized. They're being cleansed and prepared to be in His presence, and the first step says, that I will do, great, then let's get you cleansed. Let's get you clean before you enter into our presence. Okay, that makes sense? So... Uh, sanctify them. In fact, he's going to have he's going to have them sanctified for three days. He'll spend three days getting clean. It says they're going to wash their clothes. Do you think they wash their clothes and then put them back on dirty bodies? No, they they would have cleansed themselves and their clothes. By the way, how are they cleansing their clothes? Where's the water coming from? Out of the rock from the living water is the thing that's cleansing them. You get that? They're being cleansed by the same person that wants to see them again. Wants them to be sanctified. I did, the symbolism on this is just, I think it's just awesome. Anyway, okay. Um, now, verse 12, uh, you'll set bounds around the people. You're not yet ready to enter into the, the holy place. So you're now being cleansed, you're being prepared. So they, they get all set. Uh, Moses brought forth the people, verse 17, to meet with God. Um, 19, 
And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered with a voice. Now, the Lord's going to call him up to Sinai. He'll go back up. Moses goes up. Now, then he's going to come back down. And this may be different than the way that you've understood it. But listen closely how he's doing this. Okay? Moses is going to go up on the mount. He's now going to get the temple recommend interview. Okay, now that they've been cleansed and prepared and they've promised and come and they would, okay, now, in order to bring them back in, I'm going to give them the temple recommend interview to see if they will do this. Okay? So Moses is now going to speak to them. Here's the temple And so all of Israel is sitting in the bishop's office ready for the temple recommend interview. Okay? And what does the temple recommend interview consist of? Yes. Now go to Exodus 20. It's the next verse. Because <coughs> here comes the temple recommend interview. How many questions are there in the temple recommend interview? Uh, ten. I am the Lord thy God. Have no other gods before me. No graven images. Don't even think about it, especially those gold calves things. Don't even think about those. Um, oh, thank you. Don't take the name of God in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Okay? So, now, could we, as Latter day Saints, could this work for our temple rec- recommend interview? Pretty darn close. Okay? We've, added, we've had to add a few things. But remember the Sabbath day. Honor thy father and mother. Don't kill. Don't adultery. Don't steal. Don't follow, bear false witness. Okay. Now, this is the moment that... Remember what we were talking about in 84. Remember? Section 84 was saying... Moses sought to bring the people into the presence of God and the people... And no. Here's where it begins. Because up to this point, things are going swimmingly to get them reconciled, get them back into the presence of God. Here's where we get a U-turn. This is the first part of it. Then it gets worse. 18. And all the people... Somebody else read that. Who's got 18? Let's read that. Trey, you got that? Oh, 20. My brain just kind of goes. Okay, 20, 18. And all people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet. Okay, so, so isn't that great? They're, they're hearing all of this stuff, okay? And they're seeing the fireworks. Okay, and? And the mountain smoking. Whoa, that is holy smoke. <laughs> Probably where it came from. <laughs> oh, okay. You see this? Again, this is one of those moments you've got a picture. You know, it's like Mount Vesuvius. There's like stuff happening and trumpets blowing. And what are the people doing? I don't know about this. It's a little. It's a little spooky. Okay, and and they said to Moses, "Speak thou with us." And we will hear, 
But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Isn't that amazing? Let me read a quote from Joseph Smith. The Lord cannot always be known by the thunder of His voice, by the display of His glory, or by the manifestation of His power. And listen. Those that are the most anxious to see these things are the least prepared to meet them. People want great signs of God's power, but those that want them are the least prepared to see them. That's why God doesn't show them to them. Because they're not prepared. Because if they did, what would happen? Yeah, a fright. <laughs> I, 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 last year I talked a little bit about the fact that I would had a, a, a wonderful uh, friend of mine who said that she had had kind of a, she described it as a dream and I felt like it was more of a vision. Because to me it, it explained exactly how I expected things to be at the second coming. Because remember she talked about the fact that she was in a large field and that she saw all these people milling around. And she says at one end of this field she suddenly saw a shaft of light and she realized the Savior had now descended into this group of people. And she said that one, about one third of the group of people as soon as he came, kind of pressed forward because they wanted to be as close to him as they could. One third of the group kind of stood back and, and just watched the whole thing, but didn't advance. And another third ran. Uh, isn't that perfect? Three kingdoms. Yeah, it is a three kingdoms. For those in the celestial kingdom, do they want to be in the presence of God? No. They don't feel comfortable there. Their bodies, their light doesn't match. It's just an uncomfortable kind of thing. There's another group that are in awe. And then those that know Him, those that have become like Him, He would be there and we would press forward like those, those Nephites at the, at the Temple of Bountiful just saying, we want to come forward and touch your hands and your feet and be close to you and weep when you leave us. So the question is, where are we? Where are we? Well, I, I had a really good friend in Utah, a young gal, and she told me one day, and I mean, she was a very good person, but she told me that she only did the bare minimum as far as church, as you know, regarding church, because she didn't want the trials that came with more. So way to, to control the trials. Love, go through some horrible trials, which we have to go through to get to know God. You know, we have to go through some time. Ah. Our hearts have to be wrenched. But I don't want to be wrenched that much. So if I can moderate my church stuff to a certain level, I can manage my trials. And, and, that, and that's one of, those, it's one of those thinking patterns that is real common in the church. That again, it says, God only knows how to teach me by trial. So if I want growth, it will always be a trial. It's like he's a one-trick pony. He only knows to send trials. And some, because sometimes our greatest trials are our prosperity. But in our mind, we're always going to see it as the, it's going to be painful. So if I want to grow, if I want to be exalted, and, and it's, the other, let me say it differently. Those that are the most righteous have the most trials. 
at the same time, the other side of our brain goes, I'm having all the trials because I'm so wicked. And, and he's still having to purge out all of this stuff. And the, the third fallacy to that one is, um, because I'm having trials, I haven't learned what I'm supposed to learn yet, so therefore my trials are my fault. Because my trials will stop when I finally figured out what he's trying to teach me. And I haven't learned it yet because the trials keep coming, therefore they're my fault. If I would just get smarter and more spiritual, they'd stop. We have some strange thinking patterns. What's the healthy way to think about us? God loves us. Earth life comes with trials. And, and, and we learn from the trials that happen. But I really believe in my heart of hearts that very rarely does God say, you need to learn, therefore I'll send you trials. We're in earth life. He doesn't need to send us stuff. Now, he may give us tender mercies to help us escape the trials that we go through. And if there's something stupid that we're doing, it may be that sometimes it continues on because we haven't learned the lessons. But I don't think that God just sits there and says, just ask me. Please ask me for growth. Aha! Yeah, you can go ahead. uh, But sometimes we get caught in that pattern. Yeah. Yeah, you, you guys are either more righteous than the rest of us or more wicked. It's one of, we're not quite sure which one that is. <laughs> or if you just learned, then you'd be... Uh, no, you learned it because of what you have. You may not understand why God did it to you. My husband says, since he lost his sight, it's the best thing ever happened to him. Because he's been able to go through his life and repent of all the things he did wrong and get closer to God. I'm still trying to figure I think very, very rarely does he introduce trials. Yeah. I heard somebody say that they were trying to learn to stop thinking about like a good experience or a bad experience. It's experience. Yeah. And that's what we came here for. Yeah. 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 Okay. We're running. We're running low on time. Uh, we got a number of hands here. You guys are awesome. Okay. Now. So we need to we need to hop forward here. Uh, and, and listen to Moses. So the people are saying, well, we don't want to have that much. So from now on, you talk to God. You tell us what he says because we're not sure we want to get that right, become that righteous. Okay? And, and Mo, but Moses hasn't given up. Um, Moses, verse 20, said unto the people, fear not. God is coming to prove you. No, really, it'll be okay. Really, guys. And his fear may be in your faces that you sin not. You'll be around him and you won't sin as much. It'll be okay. Which, by the way, why didn't the people want to be close to God? Why would they say, we'll hear it from Moses, we don't want to hear it from God face to face? There's a responsibility that comes with I'm not sure I want to be that responsible. I'm not sure. Exactly. I don't feel, in other words, I don't feel worthy. Or I don't feel up to the task of being responsible. It is very teenagerish. 
kinds of people that have piano talents, not really kind of tell the Lord that they have piano talents, because if they tell them that they got piano talents, it might get used. And they might have to then play the piano a lot. Okay? So, um, the people stood afar off. Moses drew into thick, uh, thick darkness where God was. And Moses, the Lord said unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, You have seen that I have taught you from heaven. Okay, now, let me at least give you some things then that will help. And specifically, he says, Why don't you tell them right away, Ye shall not make me gods of silver, neither shall you make you gods of gold. How long did it take him to break that one? About a week and a half. Yeah. Right. Now, so now what's going to follow is, is you're reading through Exodus. Here's Exodus 20, and it's going to. So here's a temple recommend interview, and they were not sure about this. So they're all they're, they're kind of bishop. I, I maybe I don't know. That may be more responsibility than I really want. Okay, so uh, Exodus twenty one is gonna he's gonna start laying down uh, the laws and rules. Uh, here's how to stay worthy. So here comes the laws of Moses. Okay, here's what you're gonna do, uh, and we won't take the time. I will say in in uh, chapter twenty six. Now I want you, if, if you're going to be prepared to step into the presence of God, what are you going to need? You need a, a temple. You need a place. So now starting in chapter 26, we're going to get, okay, now, um, you're going to make a tabernacle. Here's what's going to be in it. Here's the cherub. Here's the curtains. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 27. Here's what the altars are going to look like. Uh, 29 now your priests need to be dressed like this and he's going to give some very uh, direct things verse 5 of chapter 29 now so take the garments and put on, put on Aaron a coat and a robe an ephod it, it's a, it's a um, girdle or it's an apron um, the curious girdle of the ephod, thou shalt put a miter on his head. What is that? That's a cloth cap. Okay? You put a miter on his head. And, and the reason for the miter is because what goes on after the miter? After the cloth cap. Verse 6. Thou shalt put a miter upon his head and, and put the holy crown on the miter. In other words, the purpose of Aaron's cloth cap miter was it's where the crown goes. Now, if you've got if, if there's a cloth cap and no crown yet, it's because the crown has not yet come. It's coming. So the cloth cap is there to say that's where the crown will go. Okay? Remember, he said he was going to have a kingdom of priests. Or a, of uh, king, yeah, kingdom of priests. Okay? Then you're going to take anointing oil, pour it on his head, uh, gird all of them, his sons, with all of these kind of things. 
Um, and then he's going to go through all of the sacrifices. Uh, here's what you're going to do to, to prepare them. Now, let's see. And I think we get to... Oh, by the way, I think this, I think this is awesome. <coughs> Look at, just for the heck of it, because we've got this set here. Look, look at, turn to Exodus 31. Now, in the building of this tabernacle, in the building of this temple, he's going to say, I have called some people. Verse 3. I have filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge in all manner of workmanship to do what? To devise cunning works, in, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and cutting of stones. Verse 6, in the hearts of all those that are wise-hearted, I put wisdom, that I have commanded them, commanded the, the tabernacle, the congregation. In other words, who's he inspiring here? The builders. I'm always awed when I go to like the Salt Lake Temple, and I love the way it's set up now. It used to be you couldn't always have immediate access to the grounds. But I love walking around the base of the Salt Lake Temple. And you see the beautiful workmanship that went into all of the moonstones, for instance, that surround the bottom level of the Salt Lake Temple. And you see how lovingly they were carved. Uh, and recently, I, in, over the summer, was in the um, Kirtland Temple. And it was fascinating to me that in the... How many have been in the Kirtland Temple? Okay. Remember that, that there are pillars in the, in the Kirtland Temple. Uh, and and it, they were designed uh, to hold all of the little cords and things that ran the curtains down so that the, the, the uh, altars could be separated from everybody else. And those are all hidden in the wooden pillars. Uh, and those are all intricately carved. And Brigham Young, who just spent hours and hours and hours working on the altars of the Kirtland Temple, you just see the inspiration and the beauty and the love that went into designing all of this. And so what he's saying is, even those that are going to be building my house will be inspired. And he says they will be wise-hearted. Isn't that great? All to prepare a place that my people can be entered so that they can do what? See God. That's the goal. Where do they get all this, all these materials out there in the desert? That's a really good question, isn't it? Uh, yeah. No, I think they brought stuff with them. Some stuff they brought. Oh, I guess they did. <laughs> yeah, it says that they kind of spoiled Egypt. It really means we just ravaged. Yeah, we kind of took a lot of stuff with them, but some of this stuff you say, well, I'm not sure. Okay, now. They were. Okay, now, here comes the next step then. So here's all of the... Remember, the way that the Lord works is He's trying to prepare people to get closer and closer to God. It's always going to be the covenant and commit. Will you or will you not? Yes or no? And then once you've done that, then I'll move you to the next step. Okay, look at Exodus uh, 24.
Next is 24. He can now sanctify a group. 70. Moses, first uh, two, Moses alone shall come near the Lord. They would not come nigh, neither should the people come up with him. Look at verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. Now, so here's what the Lord has commanded you. Build a temple, sanctify yourself, dress Aaron, do all this stuff. And what's the response? And all the people answered with one voice. And what did they say? All the words which the Lord has said we will do. There's the covenant. Now, to make sure that they remember, now the Lord, now, now what does Moses do in verse 4? Yeah, there comes a contract. And he's, is he, where's he going to put the contract? Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, rose up in the morning, and built an altar under the hill, and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Do you think those twelve pillars were uh, like nothing on them? What do we know about pillars? When was the first time we talked about pillars in this class? Jacob, right? Jacob sees the angel and he's going to put These are Ebenezer's. These are memorials. And what goes on the memorials? The contract. The covenant. It was uh, uh, a couple years ago, it was kind of fun to go to... Uh, uh, we went on a uh, Book of Mormon cruise down to uh, Guatemala, specifically down to the city of uh, Kirkwa. And it's right off the... Um, I know I'm not saying that right. Somebody's going to say it better than me. Um, it's right off of Lake Isabel. And, and you go in there, and part of... And it's one of those... It's, it's, it's the one city that a, 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 an explorer went in there in the early 18... 30s and 40s and drew up what he was seeing in this ancient remains of the city. Uh, and drew it up and put it in a book and it was published about 1840 or 1841. And somebody rolled into, into Nauvoo and showed Joseph the book. Said this is what he's found in the city of Kirkwa in Guatemala. And Joseph looked at it and went, yeah, Nephi. Yeah, it is. Because the Nephite cities are where the, they're still there. Yeah, Nephite. Specific, and what was he looking at? The city of Kirkwa is, is interesting for its stellas. And it has these very large, sometimes 10, 15 foot tall, wooden or uh, stone stellas. And what is carved into these scenes in intricate detail is the history of the kings and what they did and what they promised to do. And in the case of one... Uh, the city of Kirkwa is here. Then you go rise up over a uh, mountain and uh, Copan is on the other side of that. And it talks about when the city of, when uh, Copan came in and, and uh, conquered Kirkwa. And one of the reasons we know they conquered it is that there was an image of a king and he's got a big nose, but the nose has been chopped off. You know, you want to don't want to destroy the, the Stella. You want people to know that the nose chopped off means he was conquered. But it's like the whole history is there. 
Okay? That's what, the, that's what these reminders are, these memorials, these pillars are there. And, and, and from that standpoint, I think it's, it's magnificent. Okay? Now, verse 6 of Exodus 24. And Moses took half the blood of a sacrificed uh, uh, oxen and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant. He's now written all of this up and read it it, uh, and read it in audience of the people. And they said, here it comes again. You just want, here's the pattern. And they said, all that the Lord hath said, we will do. Will you? Yes. How about this? Yes. Do you agree to this? Yes. Now, based on that, at least for the 70, most of the people wouldn't even get close, but there were 70 of that group, kind of the disciples. I think it was those that Moses was delegating power and authority to, so we kind of got like the general authorities here. Verse 9, Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nahab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel, and what happens? And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone as it were, a body of heaven uh, in his clearness. Okay? And the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid on his hand, they also saw God and did eat and drink. That's how it works. He, he covenants with us. We commit. We move to the next step. He covenants with us. We commit. We move to the next step. And then ultimately the plan is... To move us into the presence of God. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I want to go back to that idea for a second of the... Um, of the pillar. And, and we'll do this and kind of start winding down. Why don't you turn for a minute, if you can, to the book of Jeremiah. This is going to be 31, 31. The idea, because I, I was thinking through of this, and, and I want you to picture this in mind. The Lord has said that when we commit, when we covenant, that He's going to mark that with a pillar. And the pillar is going to be a reminder to us of what we covenanted with. Okay? Hopefully I got the right chapter here. Verse 31, 31 should begin with, Behold the days come. I get it right? Okay. Okay. I need, I need somebody to read this one. With a good voice. Who got it? Okay. Go ahead, say Behold the days come, Okay, so, so what he's saying is that this is Jeremiah. This is in the time as Israel, Jerusalem is falling. It's, it's, it's in the process of being conquered by Babylon. So he's saying, there's coming a new day in the future that I will make a new covenant, which is actually the same covenant, but I will have to renew the covenant. Okay? 
Keep going. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant may break, although I was accustomed unto them, saith the Lord. Yeah, so I tried to make a covenant with these people and they broke that one. So I'm going to have to do this again. But they, I strive as a husbandman. I'm trying somehow to lovingly bring these people into my presence and they would and they broke it. And by the way, they broke it because we're not even getting to the golden calf today. But they broke it after they had covenant with me. It isn't like they were innocent. They had already promised to do certain things and they broke that covenant. There were consequences. Pretty severe ones. Okay? So let's keep going. Let's stay. But this shall be the covenant that I make with the house of Israel. Okay, now, remind yourself, who's the house of Israel? Us. So there's going to be a new covenant made with this house of Israel still, but it's in the future. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Okay. Can you hear that? So here is his new covenant, and it's with us. It's with us. It's not according to the covenant I made at the time they broke it coming out of Egypt. 33. This shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. For those days, meaning our days, meaning now. Those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law before I put it on pillars of stone where they could see it. I put it on tablets where they could read it. And they broke it. And that was symbolic of Moses. You're breaking the covenants, I will break the tablets. You broke those covenants. So in the latter days, I will do it differently. Instead of carving my law on stone, I will carve my law where? On our inner part. In our hearts. Do you have a pillar? Yes, it's to be your heart. He says, this time I will carve it in a place that it can't go away. Where the weather can't get to it. I need to carve it on your inner parts. I will write it in their hearts and to my everlasting joy and to yours. If you will allow me to write my law in your hearts, then what happens? And will be their God and they shall be my people. Brothers and sisters, I believe that that's what happens in the heaven. I believe that the process that we've just seen, all this sanctification and getting ready and going through the temple recommend interview and preparing ourselves and going and going to the place where we make sacred covenants and be, being prepared to be ushered into the presence of God. All of that. In order to do that and to do it on a regular basis, like manna to us, 
means that it must be written on our inner hearts. Now, interesting thing about hearts. What do we know about hearts in the temple? In the last days, DMC 2, remember Moroni said, I will send Elijah the prophet and he will come to do something very interesting. He will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. And then what happens? An amazing thing happens for those children. Then what happens? Then they will remember what? The promises made to the fathers, to Israel. And where will I inscribe those promises? In your heart. That's where it will be. And you will be changed. Because I now the promises live in your heart. That's the goal. I was reading in 35 
really awesome. Yeah. And they, they really caught the vision of that. And that's something that you haven't heard of. <coughs> the church is really going to put a big emphasis on that starting very soon if you haven't already heard about it. They have a really good emphasis on family history, bringing your own family's names to the temple. That's, uh, that's what they want us to be doing now. Because it heightens the experience from this level to this level when you bring family names. They've proven that. And it also really uh, encouraging the youth to get involved in this exercise also. And uh, have them bring the names as they come to the baptistry. Thank you. That's what we're after. And, and that is the moment I think it's being written in our hearts. And, and in a way that we will have some power against the powers of the adversaries. Anyway, uh, it's the right work. We're in the right place. And you're watching where it began uh, in this place. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.